0: Celebrate being at church together today. Welcome to ACF. Man, if you are new, we're so glad that you're with us here today. If you're with us online, we're so glad that you're with us as well. Make sure you type in the chat where you're watching from uh, today. And uh, man, we are we're, it's fall, y'all. Like it's it's coming. School started. Like things are changing. I don't know if you feel kind of the the change of pace. We felt it in our house uh, over the past few days. And kind of traditionally in Alaska, this is where the energy level starts to kind of increase through the month of September. And we see that in the church world as well. Uh, that people are kind of coming back to church and and uh, bringing their friends and people that are new to town or looking for a church family uh, to join in. And there's just so much to celebrate in our midst. We saw 15. People people get baptized last week, and so we're really excited about that, celebrating uh, that. If you're in the room and you got baptized, we're so excited for the journey that you're on here today. That's over 40 people that have been baptized in the last six six weeks, and so lots of life change. Uh, We had group launch last, last week and saw over 100 of you sign up to join a group, so come on, let's give it up for people joining community here today. That is such a big deal. I was actually reading a study from Harvard University. This study's actually been going on uh, over 85 years, and they're studying what it takes to lead to human flourishing, what actually leads to people who are living a full and, and, and happy lives. And the one thing that they have, have determined that it comes down to is the health of your relationships. It really comes down to having healthy relationships, a good support system and people that you love and people who Love you, and so if you didn't get to group launch last week, don't worry. We've got a group for you. You can head out to the newcomer booth at uh, the end of the gathering today. We'd love to get you plugged in there. But I want to start off with a question here today. As we come into uh, towards towards the end of this series through the book of Mark, and it's this question: Have you ever felt attacked? Have you ever felt like, man, I can't say or do anything without being attacked? I I feel like this is sort of the cultural moment that we live in where everything gets criticized, right? Everything gets attacked. In fact, my daughter this week, she was like, Dad, can I get social media? And what we've decided as parents is we limit our children's access to social media until they're much, much older. And so she's getting a little older. She's interested in it. And I'm like, I don't even know if you know what you're getting yourself into by getting into so. Like, do you just want more drama in your life? Are you kind of bored? Do you need more of this? And so I sent her this. I said, this is how social media actually works. Uh, You post something like this. I prefer mangoes to oranges. Random person responds. So basically what you're saying is you hate oranges. You also failed to mention pineapples, bananas, and fruits. Educate yourself. I'm literally shaking. <laughs> so if you need more of that in your life, get on social media. I, I don't know if you've ever felt that. You just feel like anything I do is going to be attacked. I've had days like this where everywhere I go, I feel like I upset people. I, I, it's like everything that comes out of my mouth, and then there's this, this backlash where there's just this attack that, that, that happens, and, and sometimes my response isn't always the best. Can we agree that when we feel attacked, sometimes the best doesn't come out of us? What, what's your natural response when you get attacked? Defense, right? Like we want to defend ourselves, and, and maybe you've been in situations where you want to defend yourself, or Uh, Maybe it's in the parking lot after church. Somebody cuts you off, right? You can start exercising your faith after church today by giving some grace to people in the parking lot. But we want to defend ourselves, right? This is kind of a funny situation. A few years ago, I I was at Lowe's buying some things, and I was at the checkout counter, and this guy comes running past me with a DeWalt angle grinder over his shoulder, and he runs out the door. And I was like, what's that? And I looked over at the at the counter, and, and this guy at customer service yells, "Thief!" And I was like, "This is my moment, right?" Like that defender started rising up in me, and I'm like, "You want me to get his information? I'm going to chase him down?" And he's like, "No, no, no. The policy is we don't chase them." And I was like, "What? You don't?" And I get it. You don't want you know a 16 year old at Lowe's chasing down a thief in the parking lot and getting hurt. But there was this like reaction to defend. I just felt like, man, what's happening is wrong. Somebody needs to do something. Sometimes it's not material, sometimes it's personal, right? Have you ever felt personally attacked? Have you ever wanted to defend yourself against these things, like rumors? People are saying some things. Maybe it's false accusations, things that you never did, but people are saying that you did. Maybe it's misrepresentation. People don't really understand and represent you well. Maybe it's misunderstandings That you just need to clarify with them, like, hey, that's not who I am. Maybe it's actual criticism. People are criticizing what you did or or said or whatever it was about you. And have you been in a situation like that where you felt attacked and wanted to defend yourself? Maybe you've gotten in trouble for something at work that you never did. You ended up becoming the fall guy or the fall girl for that situation. Maybe somebody that was supposed to keep quiet about something that you shared with them in confidence ended up sharing that with a lot of people and it hurt you. And now there's people that believe things that aren't true. Maybe it's a rumor that went around about you when you are in high school. You know, oh, she gets around, right? Or something like that. And you carry this with you still to this day. These misrepresentations, misunderstandings, criticisms, and false accusations. And we don't know what to do about these things sometimes, right? And in our society, when there's a false accusation, it seems like you can't win. No matter what you do. If you speak up, you're defensive. So it must be true. If you say nothing, you're complicit. So it must be true. Anything that's said just must be true. It seems like you can't win for losing in this society. So here's my question. What do you do when people say false things about you? What do you do? And as we get into this, I just want to, I want to be honest. It's probably going to step on your toes a little bit. This is a very countercultural thing we're talking about today. It, it is not the way that people tend to respond in the society we live in. and So if you, have a, if you have a Bible, open up to Mark chapter 14, get towards the end of the chapter. We're going to move into chapter 15 here in a moment. And just to kind of catch you up on the story, we are ending uh, the gospel of Mark, coming towards the end of the story. And, and and in Jesus's life, man, a lot is going on right now, right? Jesus is, has uh, had what's called the last supper as he uh, has his disciples in this room together and it teaches them how to do communion together in this in this new way, he's been in the Garden of Gethsemane, where he's praying and preparing himself for crucifixion. Uh, he's he's so stressed; he's literally sweating blood. Uh, we see him being betrayed by Judas, the, his inner circle. People are betraying him, people that he should be able to trust. And then Jesus is put on trial; he's arrested, and, and not just one trial. If you actually read the story, Jesus goes to about six different trials. First, he goes to trial before the religious leaders, and now at this point in the story, he's moving on to, to go to trial with the political leaders of the day. Starting in verse 61 of chapter 14, it says this. It says, but he remained silent and made no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, are you the Christ, the son of the blessed? And so this is the religious leaders questioning him. And he said, I am, and you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. This is important. Some people say that Jesus never said he was the Son of Man. You just read it. And the high priest tore his garments and said, what further witnesses do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. Okay, so the Jewish leaders condemned Jesus as deserving death. This was the point. This is what they wanted to do was get rid of Jesus. But remember, uh, this area is occupied by the Romans at this point. And so the Jewish leaders did not have the authority to give a death sentence. They actually needed to bring him before the Roman governor. That's what they actually had to do. And in this moment, if you are just following along with the story, what it looks like is it looks like everything's going horribly wrong for Jesus. If you don't know the whole story, if you're reading it for the first time and you just got to this point in the life of Christ, you're like, this is terrible. He's only done everything right. Healing the sick, you know, giving sight to the blind, serving, loving, sharing the good news of the kingdom of God. Jesus has only done everything right and at this moment, he's put on trial. This seems so unjust and so wrong. Like somebody should do something is what it kind of feels like in this moment. But oftentimes when... It looks like things are going horribly wrong. They're actually going exactly right. And that's certainly the case for Jesus. In fact, John 10:18, Jesus says this, "No one can take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily." Okay, so this was the plan. This is what Jesus came to do, and every accusation is a confirmation of God's plan for Jesus. It's a fulfillment of the prophecy of who Jesus was and what he came to do. Jesus has a vantage point over this situation that nobody seems to have. And so people are like, this is going really wrong. And Jesus is like, no, 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 it's actually going really, really right. And you need to understand this, that this is what it means to follow Jesus, is you will experience the things that Jesus experienced. That's that's what it means. There is actually a blessing In persecution, a blessing in false accusations in the name of Jesus. Sometimes you need to know this. Sometimes accusations are a confirmation that you're in the fight. You got to ask yourself the question if nobody's ever accusing me of anything, am I looking like Jesus to the world? If everybody's like, oh, I love how she lives, I love what he does, I love what they say. If people are behind you who don't know Jesus and understand his kingdom, then that means that you're living in the kingdom of the world. But to live in God's kingdom means to operate in a counter-cultural way that should create some questions at first and probably lead to some accusations at some point. So Jesus, he gets locked up. The trials continue. Mark 15:1. And as soon as it was morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and the scribes and the whole council. And they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. And Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, You have said so. And the chief priests accused him of many things. And Pilate asked him again, again asked him, Have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you? Now listen to this. This is so important. But Jesus made no further answer, so that Pilate was amazed. So Pilate, this. Roman governor, he kind of seems like he's stuck in the middle. Uh, you get the sense that he's interested in Jesus, wants to understand him better, but has no interest in being in the middle of this, this uh, political or, or more religious issue. So he's more of a political leader, and he's kind of thinking, you Jews need to just figure your stuff out, right? You just need to deal with this on your own. You're dragging me into this situation. But what we start to see in the life of Pilate is that Pilate was more interested in posturing than pursuing the truth. And if you are ever accused of anything, you will encounter this type of leadership. You will encounter leaders who are more interested in what this situation is going to make me look like than they are in protecting you, who are no respecters of the truth, where the truth seems to take a back seat to whatever narrative they want to play out in front of them. And and you'll find yourself in that situation where, man, I should be defended right now, but I'm not getting the defense I deserve. And Jesus answers his question about being king of the Jews this way, he says, you have said so. In other words, he acknowledges who he is. He acknowledges, hey, you've said what is true. I am the king of the Jews. But when he's asked about the accusations, he doesn't say a word. Why? Why would he respond in a question about who he is but not respond in a question about what he's done? This is so important. I believe that Jesus stands on his identity when falsely accused. Jesus knows who he is. He wants to tell them who he is. He's not so concerned about what they think he's done. He's not so concerned about his reputation. I'll tell you what, I believe that many times the most defensive person in the room is the most insecure person in the room as well because that's what you have to do. You have to defend yourself when you're insecure because you don't know who you are. Because who you are is in question by the, the narrative that's out there or by the statements that are made about you. So you become very, very defensive. But this is the, Jesus is always the solution for us, right? That, that, that we get an identity from Christ Jesus that is not our own. When you become a Christian, you are no longer in your sin. You're no longer in your old identity. You're identified by Christ alone, right? And so now you have a new identity that's perfect and powerful and good, right? listen. Don't give anybody in this world the authority to tell you who you are. That's God's job. It's God's job to tell you who you are. And when you give that authority to anybody else, yeah, when you give that authority to anybody else, like, you're going to end up being defensive and frustrated and always threatened by the people around you. Now, this brings up an important question because I, I could continue on this road of, like, hey, just never defend yourself, but I want to clarify this a little bit because... Is it always wrong to defend yourself? Would it have been wrong for Jesus to, to speak the truth about what he'd done and be like, hey, no, those accusations are not true. That, that's not actually what I did or what I came to do. Is that always wrong? The answer is no, it can't be wrong because Jesus is a great debater. Jesus, it, it, we, we read in the rest of his Gospels that, uh, that he defends the truth. He talks to the religious people. He calls them out, right? Right? And so we see that certainly Jesus knows how to stand up for what is true, but in this situation, he doesn't say a word. It seems like Jesus is after something completely different than what they're after. It seems like Jesus is operating in a countercultural way to what any of us would tend to operate. It's like he has a higher game that he's playing. And they don't really even get what Jesus is trying to do, that he knows he's going to the cross. He knows that he's ultimately going to die for the sins of the world, and that all of this situation is playing into his hand, right? I mean, they think that Jesus is in their hands, but, but they're actually in Jesus' hands in this moment. And they don't even get it. So how do we respond to these situations? I think there's a lot of ways. I would say in this room, when it comes to conflict, is, there's probably every reaction that could happen under the sun. Every action. And what we tend to do is we love to kind of worship the version of Jesus that connects most with our natural tendencies when it comes to conflict, right? And so some of you, you love pacifist Jesus, right? Pacif- he, he's, he's nice guy Jesus. He's like, oh, no, you first. Oh, oh, whatever. Like, whatever you want to say. It's, he never stands up for the truth. He never says what's right. He just lets everything happen around him. He's pacifist Jesus, you love when Jesus says, just turn the other cheek. And so for you, you, you avoid conflict and you're like, I'm just like Jesus. You know, I just go through life and I avoid any kind of conflict. But hear, hear me on this, conflict is not always a bad thing. In fact, conflict can be the solution to a broken relationship. With no conflict, it will never get healed. You have to be okay with conflict. What we tend to do is paint Jesus into this corner. Oh, he's just pacifist Jesus. And you overlook the other aspects of who he actually is. But some of you, you're on the other side of the spectrum, right? You're like, I don't, I don't know pacifist Jesus. I know Protector Jesus, right? I love Protector Jesus, because you love to fight. Some of y'all, man, you're looking for a fight everywhere you go, right? In every situation. How can I lean in? How can I argue? How can I debate? Right? And so you love protector, you love the story of Jesus flipping over the tables, right? The money changers in the temples, you're like, yeah, that's what it looks like to be like Jesus. I need to flip some more tables around here, right? And we start to create Jesus in our own image, but there is no pacifist Jesus, there is no protector Jesus, there is only King Jesus, amen? Right? There is only one Christ, and he goes throughout his life, not manipulated by other people's accusations, but his only goal is to do the will of his Father, he has a mission and a purpose. And he's not going to let other people's agenda affect his agenda, which is to, to bring the kingdom of God to the world. Now, we've talked a lot about receiving false accusations, but if we're honest in the room, some of us have made some false accusations. Some of us have been not just receivers of the problem, but creators of the problem. And the Bible's pretty clear about this, that as believers... We should have no place in making false accusations, right? This can tear the church apart, as many of you have seen before, where there's accusations floating around in churches. This can tear marriages apart. This can tear uh, businesses apart, friendships apart. And so we have no place in these false accusations. And, and, and the Bible's pretty harsh when it comes to these things and very clear, about how we should live in a countercultural way as believers, resisting two things, both gossip and slander. So slander is when we say something false about somebody. Gossip is like when the fire spreads, and we say it to, to multiple different people. Proverbs 16:28 says this: "A dishonest man spreads strife, and a whisperer separates close friends." I, I want to ask you, what are you whispering about? What do you think is just a little secret? I, I want to I tell you a secret today. There is no such thing as "this just stays between us." There's no such thing. It does not exist. The way you speak about your friends will be the way they speak about you. That's just how it works. And so there, it, it's gonna find its way around. And I, I love this proverb. It's so true. Dishonest people spread strife. We create issues through the dishonest things that we say and. It ends up creating this separation between close friends, but you don't have to keep going down that road. I want to encourage you. Like, like you can change the way you do this. You can avoid, the, you can find something else to talk about over coffee tomorrow, I promise you. You can find something else to bring up when you, when you meet with your friend today other than this other person that you want to talk about. You can, you can find a million other things to discuss. Proverbs twenty six twenty says, fire goes out without wood. Y'all Alaskans know that that's how it works, right? And quarrels disappear when gossip stops. Maybe maybe that's that's all that has to happen. Maybe you're like, why are my friendships burning down? Maybe it's you. Maybe you keep talking about people, and so you're just burning down these friendships because you're like, you're throwing another log on the fire. You're like, why don't I have any friends? I don't understand. Why, Why nobody wants to hang out with me? And everybody's like, stop throwing another log on the fire. And the fire's going to go out. Just stop talking about it. Peter talks about how we need to respond to these situations. 1 Peter 3, verse 13. This is so good. It says, Now who is there to harm you? Such an important word. If you are zealous for what is good. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled i want to talk about this for a minute because he says hey there's there's no one to harm you there's nothing to worry about if you're suffering for righteousness sake like in other words no man has anything on you if you're doing god's will in this world There's no human that can really hurt you, and of course there's physical pain, but, but at the deepest level, you have nothing on you when God is the one that you're following, right? But this is such an important word. He says, if you are zealous for what's good, if you're doing the right thing, you have nothing to worry about with these things that are said about you, that are done to you. But here's the first step. Whenever you hear a false accusation that's being made about you, the first step is to find out if it's actually false. That sounds kind of silly, but I'm, I'm just being real with you. The first step when you hear something false is to ask this question. Is that actually false? Here's what I've learned. There's always something true about the things that are being said about you and about me. There, there's, it may be 1%. It may be a quarter of a percent. There's, there's always something that we can learn. But, but you got to start off with going like, am I being criticized because I'm doing the right thing or because I'm doing the wrong thing, Right? Am I pouring gasoline on the fire and that's why I'm being accused of these things? Or is it actually false? He goes on. He says, But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a, let's say this word together, to make a defense, it's an important word, to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. So, first, we need to know that we're doing the right thing. We know that we need to know that we're on the right track. Maybe you need to ask a friend. Because sometimes, I'll be honest, there have been things that have been said about me, and I'm like, that's so not true. And I ask a friend or my wife, and she's like, that's kind of true. You know, that happens. And we can't always see it, so we have to start by getting wisdom and, and asking good questions. Is this true? But then when we move on, we understand that, man, we need to honor Christ and all of those things, and there's a time for us to stand up and make a defense for what we believe. And, and this is so important that you understand this, that making a defense is different than being defensive. It's so different. Making a defense, standing up for what's true is different than being a defensive, reactive person because you don't know who you are. Once again, if you don't know who you are, you will always be defensive because everything people say about you, it will pierce straight, straight to your character and to your identity, right? You've given too much power to another human being when you react that way. He goes on and he says, "Yet yeah, do it with two things. This is important. Gentleness and respect. Having a good conscience so that when you're slandered, church, in other words, again, if you're going to be like Jesus, prepare for slander. Prepare for false things to be said about you. When you're slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. Right? Not because you're shaming them, because they realize who you are as a person is nothing like what they said about you. And it puts them to shame. They're like, oh, yeah, I said these horrible things, but that's literally not how they live. Right? And that only happens if you're not defensive. Defensive. Because that's how it works. If somebody says false things about you and you react in this defensive, reactive way, all it does is confirm what they already think. So he says, hey, the opposite can be true as well. That when you don't react the way the world reacts, when they're attacked, they're going to be like, man, I need to think about what I say about that person. I I need to think about the things that I'm spreading. Finishes up, he says, for it is better to suffer doing good if it should be God's will than for doing evil. Gentleness and respect. Would you say that's how you react in situations where you want to defend? Gentleness and respect. There's a way to stand for the truth in gentleness and respect. There's a way to do what's right in gentleness and respect. There's a moment in time where you just got to keep your mouth shut and not say anything in gentleness and respect. And the way you do that is you stop being so concerned about yourself and you put your energy into being concerned about others. And and that's what Jesus did, right? Jesus, in this moment, if he was concerned about himself, would have been like, hey, I got some stuff to say about these accusations. I'm worried about me. But he's not worried about himself. Who's he worried about? Us. In this moment, Jesus' heart is not filled with defensiveness. It's not filled with fear, right? Right? It's not filled with the sense of, who am I? Oh, no, they think these horrible things about me. What it's filled with is is love. He's full of love. And when you love people, your goal is not self-defense, but self-deference. And if you're like, I don't know what that word means. Here's what it means, self-deference. Self-deference is the act of putting myself aside and humbly submitting to a greater cause than myself. I'm going to say that again so you get it. This is so important. Self-deference Is the act of putting myself aside and humbly submitting to a greater cause than myself. And in this case, for Jesus, the cause is saving the world, right? Leading people towards the truth of the kingdom of God. He has a greater cause than himself. So the question is when you're fighting, what are you fighting for? Like, what are you actually fighting for? What's the cause that is leading you to react in this moment? What's the cause that you're standing on? What is it that you actually are fighting for? Do you love people? Because if you love people, you don't act with self-defense. You're focused on them. You act with self-deference. You put my needs aside, your needs aside, and you focus on what do they need? What is this broken person that's saying these things need in this moment? And how do I lead them to the truth of Jesus? And this is hard, friends. This is hard to swallow and accept. This is so different than the world around us. Like, what, is, what if this is what the world needs to see? Maybe the reason people are like, hey, church doesn't make any difference. I don't need to be part of the church. I don't need to look into Christianity. Is because we react the same way they do. Right? We want to respond and, and, and react and fight back when anything is said about us or done to us. And they're like, yeah, that's part of the course. That is very much our culture. Uh, a friend of mine, he's a pastoral coach for me. He's been in ministry for over 40 years. And so um, I love talking to him and just hearing the wisdom and the things that he's experienced over that many years. And he was talking to me about leadership and how as a leader, you will be accused of things. And it's just going to happen. And I'm like, that sounds like really bad news. And here's the thing. I tend to, I do care what people think. And and, and I, I work on that, and I'm aware of that. But there's a tendency in me to, to really want to make sure you like me. I, I really want you to like me, you know. I want you to think good things about me and and, and positive things. And so I can tend to to want to control the narrative in that way and fix it if there's anything negative being said about me. And so I was sharing this with him, and he's like, you know, there was a situation years ago where I had this guy on my staff, and um, and, and he started off real strong, but then he just stopped showing up to work, and he didn't show up to meetings. And he didn't do his job, and so we kind of tried to work with him for a while, and he continued to not do his job. And I was like, what did you do? And he said, we fired him. And some of you are like, people get fired in church? They do. They get fired. They don't do their job. So he said, we fired him. And I said, well, how was that? He said, it was, it was really difficult because him and his wife were close friends of ours. I was like, man, that was probably hard. And he said, yeah, it was. He said, over the next few months, I would go to the grocery store, and he said, I would see this man's wife in the produce aisle, And she'd give me the look of death, you know, like that look like, oh, we better never have a conversation because it's going down, right? And he said, here's what was so hard about that is he said, I could never go up to her next to the eggs and go, hey, you know, I see that look on your face, but do you know that your husband was a piece of work? Uh, do you know that he never showed, do you know that he was a terrible, like he's like, I can never go fix it and I just have to accept it and that's leadership. And I was like, that sucks, man. I don't like that at all. Have you been there before where you tried to fix it and you just made it way worse? Come on. Come on, you've been there where you're like, I think I can make it right. I am the Holy Spirit in this moment. I can speak to these people, and they're going to hear the truth in my voice. And you, re- you rehearse it in your mind. You do that, like, all the way in the car. You're like, I know what I'm going to say. I got it all figured out. Like, this is an unstoppable argument, and they're going to hear me, and they're going to go to their knees and go, thank you, Lord, for this person who brought the truth into my eyes, and now I can change everything about the way that I see this person. And, and then It's a disaster. And it's a mess and it it made everything worse and there are just times where you have to accept the fact that people are going to think things that are wrong. And Jesus accepted that. Back to Mark 15, verse 5. I want to talk about this. This really stuck out to me this week. It says, But Jesus made no further answer, so that Pilate was amazed. And as I've read this passage before, when when I've read that Pilate was amazed, I was like, I always thought it was that Pilate was amazed at how stupid Jesus was like who's this man not just sitting there dumb like not saying anything but this word amazed in the Greek I realized this week literally means admiration Jesus's silence created admiration in the heart of the political leader of his day how could that be it turns out that the way of Jesus works it turns out that this is how we change the world friends Is we gotta do something different. If you do what everyone else does, no wonder there's no interest in the things of God. You gotta do something different. This is the way of Jesus, and ultimately this is the way of the cross. Is there's a sacrifice to be made, there's a life to be given. And in some ways, I I feel like there's probably some people in the room who haven't thought a whole lot about what it means to follow Jesus. You love the idea of, like, oh, grace covers my sins, that's awesome, but there's also a death that we have to walk through to experience that resurrection. There's a death to our pride because it hurts when people think things that are wrong, right? There's a death to our sense of control because we want to control the narrative and control the story, right? There's a death to ourselves that we actually have to give ourselves up to follow Jesus. But that's what it, that's what it means to actually live like Christ in a way that would change the way the world sees things. Jesus has this quiet confidence. I'm sure Pilate had seen a lot of people on trial before. Hundreds, maybe thousands of people had come before Pilate who had been given a death sentence. And how had they responded? Probably all the same way. Pleading, begging, screaming, accusing, trying to fix the story so that they could get out of it. Jesus stays silent and Pilate's amazed. Why? Why would he stay quiet? I think Jesus was more concerned with his mission than his reputation. He's playing a different game. He wasn't after to gain the approval of human beings because he had the approval of his father, right? Do you remember the moment that Jesus is baptized? Comes up out of the water? Remember what the father says to the son? Says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. So before Jesus does any of the miracles or any of the ministry, the father looks at the son and says, I'm pleased with you because you're my son. And you get to receive that too. And when you receive that, it doesn't affect you when people say things about you. People accuse you and say false things about you. Why? Because you're focused on the mission of the one who has the authority to tell you who you are, the only one. So what do we do? How do we respond in these moments? I want to give you one, one tool. One question to ask, and I'm just praying for you all week long. Whatever it is you're dealing with, whatever accusation, whatever frustrating thing you're going through, where you just want to fight back. I want you to ask this question. What's going to best reveal Jesus in this moment to the people around me? What's going to show them Christ? Do I need to speak the truth as Jesus did, with gentleness and respect? Do I need, do I need to stand up and say, this is wrong, and I want to clarify that? Do I need to stay silent? As Jesus, a sheep led to slaughter, silently walked to the cross for us. What does it look like to be part of a greater story, to be more about the mission than your repu- reputation today? And, and, and if you just see what happened in this moment, you see the beauty of Christ, and it start, starts to change how you want to react. You see, there was never anyone who's been more innocent of their accusations than Jesus, right? Jesus lived the perfect life. The perfect life. He has never, no, nobody's ever been more innocent of false accusations than Christ. Yet he didn't defend himself. Focused on your redemption and my redemption. And he knew it would only come as he walked the lonely road to the cross. Ultimately dying for our sins. So how can we respond the way Christ did? You have to first receive that grace. You have to receive grace from Jesus to be able to give it to others. You have to receive love to give love. If you can't give love, it's because you have not received enough love from Christ. You've got to receive that love, receive that identity, receive that grace to give it away so that when someone accuses you of something, you know who you are. You know who you are. And I think part of this, part of the reason we're so defensive is because we don't know who we are apart from Jesus. We don't realize how desperately in need of grace we are. Do you understand that if you were the only person who lived, it would still demand death on a cross for redemption in your life? Like, there's no, I'm just a little bit of a sinner. I've done a couple bad things. No, the Bible's really clear. We we, we are destined for hell, separated from God, right? Right? We, we only serve evil all the time. That's what humanity is. And so part of why we're defensive is because we want to paint ourselves in a better light than we are. But here's what happens. Like, the first step is to acknowledge your sin before God. And when you acknowledge your sin before God and somebody accuses you of something, here's what happens. Nobody, you realize nobody can accuse you of anything worse than who you actually are without Jesus. Right? That's what I think. Like, y'all might think some things about me, and that's fine. But I know who I am, and I I promise you, it's way worse than you think. It is way worse than you think. And doesn't that change things? Like, you can accuse me of things, and I may want to make it right, but it is way worse than you'd ever imagine. But then, but then the grace of Jesus is sufficient. So not only am I way worse than you could ever imagine, but in Christ, I am way better than anybody thinks I am. Not because of me. Not because Brian does everything right, I certainly don't, but because of who I am in Christ Jesus, I am holy, sanctified, pure, made new in the eyes of God. And when you know that, when you're like, that's who I am, people can accuse you of things, and it doesn't change anything. Maybe you're wearing a cross today. A cross is something a lot of us wear. It's kind of a trinket. We get it tattooed on our arms, and we're like, oh, it's, it represents Christianity, and, and, and it does, but... Man, you need to understand that the cross represents a horrible thing. Like, the idea that we would wear a cross in the first century, people would be like, that's insane. Because the cross represents shame, failure, and accusation. That's what it represents. But when you wear the cross, that's what you're you're telling the world, is I'm ready to accept that because I know who I am in Jesus. That's what that cross means. I'm ready to accept The accusations, because I know who I am in Christ, because all of that shame that was put on Jesus is what led to the resurrection that saved my life. And so we celebrate the cross because of the resurrection that came after the cross. And I want to leave you with this last passage. King David is a man in the Bible who was attacked and criticized for a lot of things. Some things were his fault, some things were not. People wanted to kill him, people were jealous of him. And a lot happened in his life. These are some words that I've just allowed God to work in my heart this week. I I hope He'd do the same in you. But here, here was what He said about these things. Psalm 62, verse 5 says, I depend on God alone. I put my hope in Him. He alone protects and saves me. He is my, what? Defender. And I shall never be defeated. My salvation and honor depend on God. He is my strong protector. He is my shelter. So there's a time to stand up for the truth. There's a time to stay silent, but in the end, friends, if you're a follower of Jesus, you are not your own defender. God is your defender, and he's a good defender, and his justice is always true, and his, and his ways are always right, and and, and he can react the way that he needs to react in these moments. And so there are moments, and you need to acknowledge this, that you need to just hear this today. Stop defending yourself. God is your defender. You don't need to be defensive. You don't need to be defensive. God is your defender, and he's a good defender. But if you're in the room here today, and you don't know Jesus, you need to understand this. You're going to stand before God one day, And there's a day of judgment that you will be asked to make an account for every single thing you said, every single thing you did, every single thing you didn't say, and every single thing you didn't do. And when I stand before God one day, my defender will be Jesus. You don't want to be your own defender on the day of judgment. Nobody does. But there is one who wants to save you. There's one who wants to give you grace. And there's one who wants to be a mediator between you and God, and his name is Jesus that 's the invitation for you today. There was a little card on your seat when you came in. I want to give you a chance to take a next step. Um, so if you pull that out, it might, you might be sitting on it or it might be underneath, but there 's this little tear off on the bottom. we call them action steps, and this is something we all try to do in the room and I would encourage you to participate in this, even if it 's something you 've done before. but I want to encourage you just pick a way that you'd like to move forward this week and all we 're going to do is send you one text to let you know we 're praying for you uh, we 're not going to spam you with a bunch of stuff, sign you up for a bunch of things. We just want to we want to be praying for our church and know exactly what God's doing in the room. And maybe today you're saying, I want to begin a relationship with Jesus. I, I need that grace, Brian. I want Jesus to be my defender. And If that's you, I want you to check that box. And We've got a, a bunch of resources we want to get sent your way on how to take your next step with Christ. Maybe you need help with your defensiveness. You're like, oh yeah, that's me. That's me. I like protector Jesus. I like to fight. Maybe you're here today going, I need help with my passivity. I'm I like passive Jesus, right? And you're just needing some help because you need to make the phone call today and go, hey, there was some things that that you think or that were said and I want to clear that up. And that's going to be hard for you. And maybe you're here today saying, I just want to trust in God's justice because what was said or what was done was 20 years ago. And there ain't no way for you to make that right at this point. You just have to let people believe what they believe and trust that God's justice is always right and it's always good. So why don't you check one of those boxes and drop that in the basket on the way out here. Would you bow your heads? I want to pray for us. Father, we want to acknowledge together this is a hard truth because we just want to defend. Father, we all believe that our justice is adequate, but at the same time, God, we know that yours is the only true justice. So God, I pray that you would wrong some rights, that you would give us some strength that we don't have to know when to keep our mouth shut and to know when to speak. In all of this, God, I pray that we would worship King Jesus, the one who always has his Father's agenda in mind. God, may we be more focused on the mission than our reputation. God, may may we play a, a different game than the world around us so that we could be salt and light, so that when people see the church, they see something completely different, countercultural to the way that people tend to live. God, that means that we need to, we need to experience your love and your grace in a deeper way today. God, we need, to, we need to hear you tell us who we are today. So God, as we worship for the next few moments, I pray that we could experience that, your love, the identity that you pour out on us, God, that you'd solidify that in our hearts and that it would erupt from our lips in gratitude as we sing. We pray it all in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Love you guys.